you have to teach the AI. You keep going through cycles and cycles. If you're going for something very specific, it can take you hours to come up with something that even approximates what you have in your head. Hello, all my amazing creative friends. Thank you for joining me today on the Sage Arts Podcast. I'm Sage, your host, getting settled here in my closet-like podcast studio. I've got a bright, sunny day outside. I've eaten my Wheaties, for those of you that remember that ad campaign, although I don't eat wheat. I actually had some homemade granola with fresh strawberries this morning, and I made a matcha and raspberry tea because today we're going to need a boost of energy for this one. So if you're ready to go on this roller coaster of a subject with me, come on in, have a seat, settle in with your choice of beverages and goodies, maybe get yourself set up with the artistic materials if joining in your studio space, or if driving or operating heavy machinery, just keep your eyes on task and stay safe. We'll be joined today by a good friend of mine that has some interesting and very perceptive views on today's subject of AI art, as it's called. Now, in crafting this podcast concept, I didn't think I'd spend a lot of time on current issues in the news kinds of things, but the subject of AI and how we as artists will be affected by a technology that could seemingly take our jobs or create artwork in minutes that would normally take us days or weeks or months has been everywhere I turn. Every other friend or colleague I talk to has thoughts, and there's an article about AI every other day in the news, but I wasn't seeing a lot of deep dives into what this means for independent artists, and I knew there were going to be other viewpoints and considerations beyond the debate of, is AI art really art? So I did start looking into this, and man, talk about rabbit holes. There's a ton of information out there about a myriad of aspects on the subject. I also put out the question on social media and got amazing and incredibly insightful answers. There are a lot of considerations about this technology that I had not been exposed to. And so I was thinking many listeners may also not have had the opportunity to delve into this and understand what this means as independent fine artists or even freelance or commercial artists. So this brings up several questions. What will separate what AI does from what working creatives do? It also gives us an opportunity to talk more about the ever ongoing discussion of what makes something art. If you're a longtime follower of mine, you probably know that I believe that story and intention are at the root of what makes something art. So where does that put AI? And more importantly, for working artists, how will this impact potential income, sales and commission work? Well, I think you're going to be surprised by the answers, the possibilities, and the real concerns that AI brings to the art world. I was originally thinking I would interview a number of people from various areas of the art world, but then I got talking to this longtime friend of mine who hires, supports, promotes artists, as well as being a creative himself and a user of AI technology. And after talking to him, I realized if I talk to more than one person, this podcast is going to be three or four hours long. So I have just the one very special guest who is going to give us the viewpoint of a person who commissions artists and uses AI art, while I will be the counterpoint as a working artist with a fine arts background and no AI experience. I'll also be sharing some of the very thoughtful and insightful comments I got on social media on this subject, but I'm going to save that for after the interview because the discussion you're about to hear should give us all a stronger basis from which to understand our fellow creatives and their comments. I also came up with a few more, I think, very necessary points to throw into the mix as you contemplate how you feel about AI. So don't hit stop after the interview. I think you'll find the additional views afterwards really enlightening. 
But before we go there, I'd like to quickly give a few shout outs for the show's supporters. First, a huge thank you to Lynn Vale, not just for her generous support, but her immensely kind words. She said, you are so appreciated in our art community. Thank you for always finding another way to sneak through to get your thoughts out into the universe. And yes, I will do that. I have a rather unquenchable passion for creatives and doing whatever I can to boost your skills, love, and success in your artistic endeavors. Thanks a ton, Lynn. Also, thank you to Julie Piccarello for your support. Some of you might recognize the name. Julie is a well-known artist, author, and teacher known for her gorgeous Makume polymer jewelry. Look her up if you don't know the name. It's P-I-C-A-R-E-L-L-O, Julie Piccarello. It was quite a compliment to get support from an artist whose work I've admired for years and years. And Carl Stengel dropped me a note over on Instagram. She wrote, I am loving your podcast. I always take notes and appreciate your insights. I love that she takes notes. We really remember things much better when we write them down. And if what you're writing down includes goals or ideas you want to work on, then you're more likely to do them because they're now concrete and and black and white. And you're going to feel more obligated to their tangible existence, really. So thank you for that reminder, Coral. If you get jazzed or have an aha moment or three while listening to this podcast, consider giving back as well. You can toss me a little love via the buy me a coffee or PayPal donation buttons found halfway down the homepage of the show site at www.thesagearts.com or check the show notes for links. If you give back and you don't want a shout out, be sure to let me know in the notes section of your donation page. You can also support this podcast by sharing it with friends, family, and on social media. Hit the share button on Facebook or put the podcast posts in your Instagram stories. In both cases, you can find the podcast social media pages under the Sage Arts Podcast. You can even steal any and all images I post with podcast graphics on it to share wherever you like. Just spread the love, right? So let's set you up for this information-rich talk today. Let's start with asking yourself, how do you feel about AI creating quote unquote art? Is it something you'd want to explore or have you already? Or would you prefer to extricate it from the halls of the artistic world, never to cast its algorithmic shadow on us again? Regardless of where you stand now, keep an open mind. If you hate the idea of AI, weigh the possibilities it offers for yourself and for others. And if you're all on board and gung-ho, take a moment to weigh the potential detriment and consider how best we can support the advance of this technology while minimizing its possible harm. So with those heavier-than-usual questions and thoughts on your mind, let's get into the interview. So joining me today is Jim Brown. He's a game designer and publisher, a performer, an event organizer, a national champion ballroom dancer, and a writer with a first novel on its way to publication right now. So he's no stranger to the arts and creative endeavors. And more to the point of today's conversation, he has been using AI to help create art for his games and other projects. And I think he can give us a really unique perspective as a creative and a supporter of artists. And he's also a company owner who has employed AI. So I was thinking you could tell us what you know about the use of AI and the potential uses and abuses of the technology as someone who can see it from a couple different sides of the issue. So thank you for joining us, first of all, Jim. Oh, you know, it's okay, Sage. I don't mind chatting with you every (laughs) once in a while. I mean, you're like an okay person. So we're all dear friends. and I love Sage so much and she's so uh, wise and talented and embracing of other people's creative efforts and everything. So I am more than happy to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. That was really (laughs) sweet. 
Yeah, same to you, Jim. We've we've exchanged stuff a lot through the years, especially ideas. We're both idea generators like yes. mad. One of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was I find that, you know, a lot of the artists do want to understand what the other side is, what their buyers are thinking, and especially somebody who's in business who would employ an illustrator or even a fine artist to do work for them. So can you, first of all, tell us what you do um, relevant to the conversation, but also just a little background on on how you got there and whatnot? Well, the two things that are most relevant to today's conversation, one is for my board game, board games, card games, tabletop game design um, I do employ artists to do specific pieces of work, of you know, characters, landscapes, that sort of stuff. I can draw stick figures uh, that slightly resemble stick figures, <laughs> <laughs> but I do graphic design, logos and iconography and typesetting and layout and that sort of stuff. But when it comes to a tabletop game, you look at the dozens, if not hundreds of cards uh, a modern board game might have, each with its own discrete piece of artwork plus artwork for the box cover, for the rule book, for the board itself, if it has one. You can be looking at dozens to hundreds of individual art pieces for any single modern board game. Yeah, And that yeah. It costs a lot to do that. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. And not just in money, but in time. So if you happen to have sure. a board game that's designed, you know, it's playable, whether in prototype form or otherwise... And it's kind of ready to go, but then you have to sit around and wait six months to a year to two years for one or more artists to do all of this artwork. All of a sudden, your six-month project turns into a two- or three-year project. Yeah. During those times, you can be playtesting and refining the game itself more. But art is time-consuming. Human-generated art (laughs) is time-consuming and costly from the producer's side. It's not cheap, nor should it be, in my opinion. Yeah. The other thing I currently am using stuff for is like with my drag troupe. I'm the glam daddy of house all night here in Denver. <laughs> There's 14 of us now. We're doing a big superhero show coming up this spring. So another thing I could jam into, I use Mid Journey for those of you who are listening for uh, visual art. Uh-huh. I don't have any experience with Stable Diffusion or any of the others. But so we needed promo material for the venue, needed that from me today. But well, A, we don't have time to do a photo shoot, let alone none of us really have our costumes ready for a show that's coming up in a couple months. So we can't right. do photo shoots relevant to the thing that has yet to happen. So right. have Mid-Journey do some replica superhero characters facing each other, you know, Marvel versus DC sort of thing. Uh-huh, yeah, and yeah. it's representative of the thing and it's original and we didn't have to spend all the time to go do a photo shoot somebody had to make sure their costume was done all these months ahead of time all the little things we can yeah. have some promotional graphics ready to go and it took me five minutes to throw that together that's, versus that's five days of trying to get everybody's schedules lined up presuming somebody has a costume get the photographer lined up find the right yeah. place to do it and then editing the photos you know, whoo right Five minutes yeah, versus it, five days. <laughs> yes, please. I remember doing all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. Getting original artwork done, whether you're just asking a singular artist to do something or something like what you're trying to do. The AI mock-ups, the, that aspect of it seems to be primary conversation that we ended up with online was from people that used it as mock-up material, mm-hmm. which is great. Would you mind kind of like quickly telling us how AI works from a perspective of someone who's trying to employ it in that way. 
Like, what is the process? Because I think a lot of people think that you just put in a word or an idea and the computer goes out on the internet and takes a couple sample images and put it together. And my understanding, it's a lot more than that. Well, it is that, but underneath... So yeah. yeah, you plug in some words, but there's a there's something of a learning curve on the user's point too. Is uh, you put in the words, you know, blue cow on the moon, yeah. and in your head you're picturing a blue cow on what we know as Earth's moon. You haven't right. specified any of that to the AI, so chances are it's going to make the moon blue, the cow blue. It didn't differentiate where you wanted to appellate blue. So uh-huh. you find a lot of ways of you know, where you place commas or semicolons, and I can't keep track of punctuation that's used to help do that. But you have to teach the AI. You, so you keep going through cycles and cycles. If you're going for something very specific, it can take you hours to come up with something that even approximates what you have in your head. Yeah, I'd read something where someone spent two weeks getting yeah. it right to get the images that they wanted, yeah. So it's not that AI is going to read your mind and specifically come up with whatever is in your head. You right. have to learn how to coax it. So like what I'm doing with my novels, the living Starship novels, that which have board games that accompany them, there are specific yeah. characters that are in specific, if, if you will, sort of like Star Trek-like uniforms. I can't get an AI to replicate those uniforms with the specificity that I need to represent the characters, let alone the specific um, you know, horn patterns of a specific character. You can yeah. train the AI by keep feeding it the images it generates, then, oh, I like image one that it gave me, and tell it to use image one again to seed the next set of parameters you give it. Oh, gotcha. But it, it's still going to have variations every time. So sometimes your character has curly hair, then the next one has got straight hair. And so then you can spend hours or weeks trying to get an image of, I need this character punching somebody, but it still needs to have the same color hair, the same hair pattern, same clothing. So the AI stuff isn't there yet that's going to create specificity for you, not without a whole lot of work and a whole lot of churning through sample after sample after sample after sample, changing the words you're using, changing the order of the words you're using. It can be quite laborious, but if you're an artist yourself and you're just kind of, okay, I don't know what to draw or what, you know, how could I make these characters look or that landscape look? You throw some words into the AI, see what it coughs up. I've been reading about a lot of artists who go, oh, yeah, it inspires me to then go paint the blue moon cow world that I was trying to get it to depict. And it's never going to capture what's in your head, but it gives them some ideas because, oh, if the mountains in the background look square instead of rounded, oh, that's a cool thing. Right. It pushes your idea of things and you kind of leave your vacuum of ideas that you have, your little isolated ideas and your mind and your experience and really pushes it, which is like usually why you go and look at other artwork. But it is interesting that you could put in your own basic ideas that you're after and then get really pushed in in very specific directions. You set in your own parameters and there's a whole language style to doing that in order to get it to even approximate what it is you're going for. And so you you have to learn that. So much like any other artist who's learning to paint with wide brushes and thin brushes and little one hair brushes, there's practice you have to do in order to do it. Same thing with feeding word text prompts into an AI to make it spit out something even approximating what it is you're going for. 
So there's one argument to be made that even though that the prompter, the person typing in the prompts, isn't physically making the art happen with brush strokes or with a digital pen on an iPad or sculpting clay, they are still artistically sort of funneling this program to make something, you know, that's similar to whatever it is they're imagining. And artistic choice and preferences and whatnot. And I've seen it over and over again that this is similar to like when photography came out and all the painters were like, it's going to take the place of painters. This may be the same kind of thing, right? Where we're looking at another medium rather than something that's taking over. I think so. I remember, so do you, the days when Photoshop started becoming A, affordable and B, widely available. How many... You know, physical arts, whether they're doing it with, you know, pen and pencil or paint or whatever, like Photoshop, anybody who does digital manipulation of anything, whether it's photos or other art, that's not art. You're not being an artist if you're not actually picking up a pen and and pressing onto the paper or onto the canvas or using actual paint. And so we've seen this cycle through that as well. And now sort of part and parcel, I feel, for many, if not most artists, unless they choose to never touch the digital realm of art. Most I encounter will at least acknowledge that no digital art is legit art too. using digital tools. I mean, it's just another medium. It's no different than crayons or colored pencils or ink or oils. So, yeah. So from your perspective, as a business owner, using AI is both a budget friendly and time friendly option to artists. Now, do you see this replacing your use of artists or do you just see it as as a tool early on and then you'll replace that work with artists work? I have a suspicion it's going to be a companion methodology. So what I'm looking at right now is last December, a game concept came to me, lightning fast, human flavor. So it's got you know, angels and demons and werewolves and fairies, and you're competing to consume humans in the city. And, and consume might mean physically eat them like the werewolves do, but it might be the angels who are consuming the humans' faith until they're empty vessels of you know, mindlessness. And so this was an art-intensive project, and the game kind of came forth like in teenage form. So it was close to a really playable and nearly sellable game right from the get-go. And I was able to jam through hundreds of pieces of art using Midjourney to make it yeah. look appealing. And I've been doing a bunch of playtesting of it since you know, middle of December. And the first, both online when I'm displaying graphics, sort of advertising it, or when people are in person playing the game, that is the first feedback. I go, oh my God, this is so cute, because I use cute versions of these characters. <laughs> and one thing that Midjourney, I think maybe all the AIs struggle with, is making hands and fingers properly. Uh, oh, they're, they're getting yeah, better and better. But sometimes you'll have like 16 fingers on a fist. You're going, ah. <laughs> so, well, on the demon ones, I go, you know what? It looks like they've got a bunch of tentacle fingers. I'm actually going to leave that. But on the angels, I'm going, nope, that doesn't that doesn't go well. Or on the werewolf, you know. So I have to go in, in Photoshop and edit a bunch of that stuff out. So there's still can be some after work, you know, some post-production work, yeah. too, that you have to go in and to edit out all the little bits and pieces that don't need to be there or extra fingers or stray strands of material that pop up in it. So there still is post-production work, but you know, yeah. it's nothing compared to the time it would take one to five artists to pump out all that art for it. Now, what yeah. I'm thinking is in the future, do I approach a project knowing that, oh, I'm only going to use AI art? No, because I would always personally prefer to have human-produced art 
because I want to you know, help support yeah. my fellow creatives. But like right now, I have literally zero dollars in the budget for this game because it just <laughs> spewed forth out of my head. And yet in six weeks or seven weeks, you've gone from idea concept to... To something that's virtually sellable and even yeah. sending to production. So what I'm thinking may happen certainly for me and maybe for other creatives too. Using this AI produced art is a way to prototype stuff that looks better. Like if you're making a superhero board game, for instance, just going and cutting and pasting images from online of your Wonder Woman and Batman and Spider-Man and stuff. And people go, ah, that's cute. I see what you did there, but your game can't be that because you don't have those rights. Well, I know, but I right. don't have an artist who can draw me unique superheroes right now. Because people, when it comes to playtesting of a board game, you've got to playtest the game and you work out all the kinks and stuff. And all of us are influenced by what things look like. So if something looks pretty or enticing or evocative, they're going to respond to it much differently and usually more positively if it looks cool. So there's advantages for prototyping. And then when you're pitching to publishers and stuff, now many of them probably aren't going to care what your artwork looks like because they're looking past that. They're looking at what the game itself is because they know even if you present a zombie game to them, ooh, the mechanics of your game are super cool and super sellable. So we want your game, but we're going to strip the zombie stuff off it and make it into something about potted plants. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So the artwork is not what's going to sell it to a publisher necessarily. But it's what's going to sell it to your play testers. And if you're self-publishing, that's very well could sell it to your audience in the end. What I'm hoping to do with this game is that maybe do an initial print run that has the AI art on it. And if people are liking it, there's enough positive response and enough backing. Maybe we raise enough money to simultaneously or at some point down the road, commission all the replacement art for all of that. So you get your game produced and it gets shipped to you six months later. But people get their game, they can start playing it, it's all chock full of AI art, but they also know their money is currently funding eventual replacement art for all those cards done by actual humans, because enough people supported the project to then also turn around and support live human artists. And that's where I'm kind of hoping we can go with things, is that A, can get a product to market sooner, creating a revenue stream, which then that revenue stream can then help fund human art. I suspect we're going to see sort of mixed methodologies. Sure, some people are going to just flat out use AI art and never want to interact with a human again. Others are going to refuse to absolutely ever use anything AI produced. I think there's a happy middle, happy, there's a middle ground to be utilized (laughs) somewhere. Talk about the emotional aspect. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like it has the potential, yes, to take jobs away from working illustrators. I mean, we can't say that's not going nope. to happen. But at the same time, it sounds like there's the potential for more artwork to be available as as contract work if people are able to put things together. Because budget-wise, yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of creatives, whether you're doing games or books or whatnot, that you don't have the budget and or time to make it happen. Yeah. But with AI, you can do what needs to be done in order to get it going and to get it funded. And at that point, you would be able to hire more artists. So it could potentially balance out the amount of work that artists would have. Yeah. So we're just you know, in the midst of growing stages, you know, sort of toddler years, and, and it's growing up fast, all the same, because there's the AI chat stuff, there's AI programs that are doing video work, doing computer coding, doing uh, articles, writing novels, maybe even designing board games, video games, and 
as a as a novelist and a board game designer, am I I don't currently feel threatened by these AIs that are producing science fiction and fantasy novels or short stories or whatever it is they're doing. I'm like, bring it. I have faith that what I'm going to produce is going to be better is subjective, I suppose. But at some point, we may not be able to tell the difference between a script written by an AI or visual artwork done by an AI. I know yeah. I've been reading about artists who are saying, you know, I've got clients that want me to create a whole bunch of character designs or landscapes. I don't physically have the time to produce the amount of art that they want or need in the time frame that they have. Because production companies said, well, we've got to get our final bits off to the manufacturer in China to get proofs back because published deadline is going to be you know, next December. So you cannot afford to hire flaky artists who can't meet deadlines. Right. Even artists who are not flaky and do meet deadlines, there's a human maximum as to what they can produce. They can manage, uh, yeah. So a lot of artists are going, hey, if I can have this AI creating elements of my own artwork in my style – that might save them days worth of time and they can really focus on the elements that the AI isn't good at, like the aforementioned hands. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. You, whatever element it is, have it design the background for you and you're laying your characters on top of it. I think for the artists who are afraid of it, many of them will, much like those who are afraid of Photoshop and Illustrator, eventually they may have to come to terms with learning to deal with it because they might get more work, make themselves more hireable, say, hey, you're the client that wants me to produce 50 pieces of art in three months. Well, normally that would take me six months, but if I use AI for 50% of that, I can right. maybe meet that deadline for you. Well, hey, so then that artist all of a sudden makes a much bigger job. It's the same thing with drawing. You know, How much time has Illustrator and Photoshop saved all of us because we work in layers? And you go, oh, yeah. I just screwed up something well you just, <laughs> don't start all yeah, over you delete that layer like but if you were painting or drawing yeah. if you make a big old ink stroke across you know some your entire canvas well, you gotta draw the whole thing all over again if it was the yeah. wrong thing so i think it's a useful tool for both creatives you know, people who feel threatened because it's impinging on their realm of creativity but it's a tool they can learn to embrace and use if it becomes more widely used like that, it's also going to be a competitive thing because like as a freelance writer, I was competing a lot of times with people overseas who mm. could do things. They were like groups of people writing stuff, oh, you sure. know, and they could just whip through things in a time frame that I couldn't. So I farmed out some of my freelance work just so I could get my freelance jobs done. So you have to look at what's the competition. And if people are using AI as a shortcut to get things done in a faster time frame for clients who are always looking to get things done faster to beat the next person out mm -hmm. to the market, it may be a thing that anybody who works in that realm, if that's part of your income, that you're going to really have to look at that as something to take on to be competitive. Yeah, exactly. So, But then one artist loses out on a job because they say, well, I can't do your 50 pieces in the time frame you need. But meanwhile, that company, if it's a company, you know, well, they've got two paid employees, maybe they're interns or something, hopefully paid people. Well, their job is to then sit on mid-journey for four hours a day and try to make it cough out the images that the company needs. So that's yeah. still employing two people on the macro scale of things, just like with people working on the assembly line started losing their jobs as the robots came in and could do a lot of those you know, packaging and folding and hammering of car doors or whatever. But then so much more machinery is being built and utilized, they break down. So guess what industry started needing more people to give jobs to? Yeah. 
the repair people who could repair the machines. The skills shift. Yeah. yeah, yeah so I think exactly. that, that we're just going to see something like that here too, is that artists are going to have to adjust their skills to shift along with what the market has available, what they're competing against, and can they utilize those tools to be relevant? To, to help their career yeah. or, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's not going to be quite as streamlined as maybe that part of that conversation was saying. A lot of stuff I was reading about, one of the big hurdles that we'll probably be seeing is the question of copyright. Yep. And you brought up the idea that I can't just go in there and make a collage of superheroes in order to have a piece with superheroes for my, my mock-up because you don't have the rights right. to it. And so this has become the question with AI. Is AI basically doing that? Is it going out there and taking bits and pieces of other people's work and putting it together? And can they do that and be put out there as artwork without either payment or recognition of the artists who would have been involved? If you can even tell, I don't know if sometimes you could even tell where they got the information. Well, from. and that's the thing is because it's sampling from hundreds of thousands, if not millions of samples. So Good luck yeah. citing what sources and let alone thousands, if not millions of sources the AI pulled, mid-journey pulled from in order to make my distinct yeah. little chibi vampire character in a top hat and cane. Because yeah. yes, you can go and basically copy and paste somebody else's artwork and plug it into mid-journey and tell it to use that as the seed to build some of its inspiration from. You can also give it part of, the, of your descriptive text phrase in the style of uh, Sage Bray, <laughs> right? And it'll <laughs> yeah. go and presumably it goes and tries to find examples of that artist's work and replicate elements of it. So in the case of the art I have for human flavor, nobody holds a copyright on the concept of chibi. Just it's no different than anime, you know. To style. Unless what you're doing is explicitly derivative of a particular artist's style or copyright images. But then who's to say that the AI's process is any different than any artist who takes their five favorite artists and those styles creep into their own personal style? Right. That was my thought, too. I mean, in a lot of ways, and I'm not a copyright lawyer or specialist or anything whatsoever, so I'm not sure, you know, legally what the ramifications actually are. And as you mentioned, depending on what kind of AI machine is being used, MidJourney or Dolly 2 or whatnot, they may be using them differently. But it almost feels like the issue of copyright might be a defensive like, you know, knee-jerk reaction to, oh yes. my gosh, this stuff is coming. Is it going to steal from other people's artwork? But the fact is, is artists steal all the time, yeah. if you put it that way, in a very similar way. We take in all this artwork and it ends up in our brain and marinates, you know, for days or weeks or years or whatnot. But a lot of times that stuff does come out in what we actually create. So how is that different right. than what the AI is really I doing? I think that's something can be done with AI too, is if people like your style of stuff. Well, mm -hmm. somebody comes along, I see you draw really cool dragons and really cool landscapes, but can you do, you know, like my little pony things, but in the same style of your dragons? <laughs> well, maybe you don't at the moment have time to sit down and to your full satisfaction, crank out a my little pony version of your style of dragons, but you can go jam your style into one of these AI things and it's going to cough up something similar enough. You can give that to the client say, is this kind of what you have in mind? If I were to draw my little ponies, but in my dragon style, is that what you're thinking? Go, oh, yeah. So you just created a sample for a potential customer in minutes right. versus right. hours or days, whatever it might take you to produce that. And my brother is a advertising executive. And I know some like theater production people or you know, set design people, too, that are using this to mock up 
for clients, whether it's a client that wants to be doing an Audi commercial, like what my brother has done, or somebody in a theater, and they go, we kind of want a techno version of you know, Midsummer's Night Dream. What could the sets look like? Well, you can describe it all you want, but every person you describe it to is going to picture it differently. But if you as the set designer or the advertising you know, person can jam a bunch of samples or get an AI to cough out a whole bunch of samples, then you take that to the pitch meeting or the production meeting and show it to everybody. Go, so you said techno Midsummer's Night Dream. What if it looks kind of like this? No, we need it. it needs to be more oranges and blues. Oh, well, here's one that had a lot more oranges and blues. Well, yeah, that's the coloring, but we like the style of the buildings or the plants in that third one. So then you start taking bits and pieces from each one, cobble them together, and then you as the production designer, the artist, then go spend your valuable time producing a much more specific thing that the client wants that is going to much more closely meet their needs, all because you saved yourself a whole bunch of time and your client a whole bunch of money because they didn't have to pay you for three weeks of work. They paid you for one day of work, even though your day is spent on an AI program coughing up a bunch of samples. And now they can pay you the next three weeks worth of work to do the actual thing they want rather than concepts of what they might potentially want. So it's really a potential additional way of communicating, Mm -hmm. a visual communication for things that were often discussed just Mm -hmm. verbally. And of course, everybody will have a different image in their head of what's being discussed when you're talking about a visual thing and you're only using words. So it does give a kind of a bridge of visual communication between concept and the actual Mm -hmm. creation. So, it, yeah, in companies, I could see where that would be tremendously helpful. And having been a freelance, I did mostly writing, but I also did the graphic work and stuff like you did as well. And, yeah, having to do mock-ups of stuff for people was tremendously time-consuming yes. when you were actually using, you know, whatever your regular tools were. Usually, of course, it was usually Photoshop right. or whatnot. It's still time-consuming yes. to do those things. And then they want this tweaked and that tweaked and this tweaked. And, yeah, if you can have something spit out a bunch of samples for you, man, I probably would have been on yeah. that. <laughs> Back in the day, because, you know, it's all about how much time you have when you're freelancing. You can even be in the initial pitch meeting that the creator can sit there in the meeting, say, hey, we've got a a one hour meeting. So, you know, it takes a couple minutes to create all these images. They sit there working with the client, typing these things in, it's spitting stuff out. And they come to an agreement as to what needs to be made that much more quickly. Rather than weeks of back and forth. Oh, does your logo need to be round? Well, when we meant round, we meant oval. Okay, so you have to go back and... (laughs) We didn't know what round meant. Well... It's true. Clients don't. don't. (laughs) Yeah. They don't have the terminology. the words they use, you don't interpret them in the way they meant them. Mm -hmm. And so then you produce something different and you've gone down the wrong alley. I can see this AI stuff being a huge time saver for a lot of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, that would be very supportive of artists who freelance or contractor yeah. or whatnot and need to be able to visually communicate to people who aren't visual people to start with. So, yeah, definitely can see the advantage to that. I think a lot of the big, oh, I'm afraid of AI conversations comes from the fine art communities. Uh, you know, sure. where they're like, how am I as a artist, like, are they going to start making fine art? Like the gentleman who won the Colorado yeah. Fairs art mm-hmm. contest. And it was an AI piece and people all up in arms about that because they're like, it's not art. He, you know, he did a computer generated AI piece and it won the first place. Right. Was that fair? Was that cheating? You know, all these things. And I think it isn't so much of whether that was artistically appreciated, like that it has value Mm -hmm. aesthetically, but the fact that there's something out there that could potentially replace all the hard work of an individual artist. Okay. So that artist who created that, he said, I don't remember now, it was a number of weeks. I want to say it was like at least three or four weeks or something. He spent 
churning images in, then taking a final rendering, going into Photoshop, fixing the details, putting it back in, getting it to churn another variation on it, Photoshopping. So that specific artist spent weeks working on that one piece from what I read. Trying to control, like you do your art materials, trying to control the right, outcome. You control yeah. the outcome. And then he used Photoshop, whatever, to go and manipulate the bits in and out that he didn't want or weren't there that he did want. So, yeah, the end result was, I'm just going to make up some numbers. Let's call it, you know, 80% AI generated and 20% tweaking, revamping post-production work. So just like these days, somebody could, in Illustrator or Photoshop create things and then print them out, have them printed out on canvas or something. And then somebody who actually painted with oils or acrylics or something, well, that's not fair. They did that with digital manipulation and then just printed it out and entered it in the same contest. My personal opinion is anything that's substantially AI-generated art goes in its own art category and is not up against anybody who's painting in watercolors and acrylics who are also not up against people who are doing digital stuff solely through Photoshop or Illustrator. It's simply another category. So I can see the fine arts people being defensive about that, but I would agree that the AI stuff should not be in the same category, but it should not devalue it as art. So really the measurement should be, and our little opinion here, (laughs) is that it really depends on how much human interaction there is to whether it would end up being fine art or not. If there is no human interaction, it's just throwing a bunch of words, AI spits out something and you call it fine art. You know, is that where the gray area is? I would say so, because it it might look really similar to stuff that was done through the traditional fine art process. It might very well look very similar. But the thing is, and here's here's where I stand with it and why I think we don't need to worry about it as fine artists, is that no matter what the AI makes and people say they're going to be able to do anything that people can do. But there's one thing it will never be able to do. It will never be able to have the story behind the artwork that will make us feel connected to that art and the artist. I mean, obviously it's a machine and we could feel connected to the person who manipulated the Mm -hmm. algorithms to get that particular thing and we could have their story, but we will never take something that an AI just spit out and be like, okay, it looks visually interesting, but it doesn't have any of that history. It doesn't have any of that background. It doesn't have the personal experiences that add to it. Because once you know something about the artist or something about the history of the work, it becomes multidimensional, you know, beyond what it is that you're seeing in front of you and that initial visual impact, which, of course, is important. And AI could do something very well that has a great initial visual impact. You're seeing that in what you're doing for your Mm -hmm. games. But it will never be able to replace the human behind the artwork that gives us the story that makes us feel connected to the work. So I don't think that the fears that we're having about it taking over, especially in a fine arts perspective, is something that is going to be a concern after we understand what it is that it's doing and more people become familiar with the process and and what it can do and how it can help. Right. And I think that's the difference between fine art and mass art. Because I sit back and take a macro look at the painting or the sculpture, do I like it or not? I, as the end user and potential consumer, I don't care how it was made. I don't have the experience or education and those things to understand the difference between good brush strokes or bad brush. I don't even have the terminology to use for it, but I look at it and go, I like that. Then you look at the price tag and, oh, it's $57,000. I still like it. I don't seem to have the $57,000 to get that, but guess what's in the gift shop? A print of it, maybe a big poster size print of it. And I really like that artwork. I'm going to go buy that print for 10 or $15 or whatever the print is. 
Okay. Now a fine artist, purist about that goes, oh, the photo reproduction of it, that's not real art. In my opinion, yes, it is, because it looks to me exactly like what I just appreciated on the wall, but it's on some paper and I can roll it up and go put it in my dorm room or whatever. So me as the end user, I got to appreciate that art and I got to buy that art, but I didn't need the fine art version of it. Now to somebody else with the education and or appreciation of that, now to them, those brush strokes are important. The history, that story behind what was the artist feeling, what, what inspired them to paint this particular painting. Those are things that are going to help add value to that $57,000 in that buyer's mind. Both, in my opinion, are equally valid. Right. Do you see that because AI doesn't have the history and stuff, there's still going to be a market for people who don't care yes, I, about the humans behind it? Is well, that what Yeah, because that goes back to my game then. People I've encountered so far who are enjoying my game, appreciating the art, and really loving the experience and asking to play the game again. Is some part of that because of the art? Maybe. But apparently, I've made a fun game that they want to play again. Yeah. The art enhances that experience. For a tabletop game, is that the defining aspects for it for most people? I don't know. Probably not. So... Most of them don't care. They go, oh, who's your artist? I said, oh, I, I fed all that into an AI. Oh, really? That's cool. All right. What do I do on my next turn? They, <laughs> they do not care where it comes from. Yeah. They are enjoying the experience. The AI produced art is obviously helping to produce joy for their experience. They don't care where it's from. Now, right. some of them might, are they going to appreciate the game differently knowing that some artists you went and spent two weeks on each and every one of those single little character drawings. It's not going to change their appreciation of the game. Yeah. Are they ever even going to bother to learn the story behind what that artist was feeling at the time they created my little top hat and cane vampire? Nope. They're just going to look at it and go, that's a cute little vampire card with, with a top hat and a cane. <laughs> I hope I get to play that in my next game because it was never in my hand this game. And that's where I think we need like maybe better language yes. around yes. what, art is yeah. you know like maybe it shouldn't be called ai art maybe it just be called ai imagery sure. you know ai digital imagery that we can call it addy <laughs> so i just made a name i coined it, coined right, it right there no, copyright i, I would right <laughs> yeah i don't care yeah, exactly. Everybody yeah. uses it. i just want i would just like there to be better language i i have for a long time felt that our language around what is art has been really uh, stunted because we only have one yes. word the problem is that when we have these conversations, we don't have a way to differentiate it in a concise manner. Right. So if I'm going to tell you I have this piece of art, you have no idea. You know, I have a piece of art. I have a piece of what? I have a sculpture. I have a card from a game. Yeah. I have a fine oil painting on my wall. Right. You know, you don't know. And obviously, a lot of words are generalized and that we use them to get through the ideas very quickly. But in art, when we are worrying about what is art in, in terms of is AI making something that's art and is it threatening fine artists and and should when it's brought to a art showing an art contest like at the fair should it be considered art and those kinds of things so I think maybe having better language around art would be helpful absolutely 
And that's actually, honestly, it's true with a lot of things these days. We're really broadening things out to where we're like, well, someone can call it whatever they want to call it. You know, like you can call it art if you want to call it art. You can be whatever you want to call yourself, which is, I think it's wonderful that we're opening things up the way we are, but we have diluted our potential for concise conversation. So, and I think that's really what it comes down to. Because if you look at the question of whether AI is art, I think it really comes down to its purpose, Mm -hmm. how it's being used and what it's going to be used for is really what everyone is concerned with, right? Because if it's going to be used to replace fine artists, if it's going to be used to replace human-made art, then sure, artists are going to have a concern, you know. But if we say what this really is, it's another tool. It's another medium. It's another way of doing things faster or communicate better or whatnot. And if we can talk about it in terms of its purpose instead of its general label, that we might have maybe more productive conversations and less fear around it. Because honestly, some of the conversations with artists out there are like really, uh, <laughs> really kind of angry. Yeah, you know? well, and I, I can understand and respect the emotions behind that because you know, they've sure. worked really hard to get wherever it is they are and they see this thing come along that in their minds and you know how accurate they're picturing the future of this to be but let's take a beat let's breathe maybe there's to your point and maybe that's the writer in me too there's a big thing about nomenclature about language that can help alleviate these fears so like again should that ai generated thing have been submitted you know in the same art competition with people who physically painted stuff Probably not. But did they have an option? I would imagine no. I would bet there was not an AI category at the Colorado State right. Fair. Exactly. Do yeah. you know what there might be mm-hmm. next year <laughs> at some state fair? I think. <laughs> right. AI category. <laughs> so therefore, then all the fine artists who are physically painting and drawing and whatever. Can have their own spotlight. They keep yeah. the authenticity and the sanctity of their style. And it's not denigrating or taking away from this other methodology then it's up to the end you know, consumer. If they don't respect AI-produced stuff as art, they're not going to go look at that section of the art contest. They're going to go look at all the paintings and sculptures. Right. Cool. Right. There'll be a differentiation in value, yeah. just like the people who go to an actual gallery to buy a piece of art versus people who go to Target yes. to get something to put in yes. the room. And that's exactly what this will all be. So the stuff you're buying yeah. from Target might be replicas of somebody's actual painting and you would hope that they're getting royalties off of all those prints or it might just be you know a bunch of ai produced stuff who cares if somebody's enjoying that piece on their wall and they spent fifteen dollars on a poster versus fifteen thousand dollars on a canvas they got from a gallery both are equally valid i think sure yeah and i think the other thing that is not being discussed well, it's, it, has, it is being discussed here and there when we're talking about AI is the value for the artist in what they're doing. I spend hours, weeks, years making this painting or this sculpture or whatnot. And then there's something on, online that'll make a similar thing for, you know, in right. minutes. And it just seems so horrible. But the fact is, is we as artists don't really do this because we're trying to make money most of the time. <laughs> You know, I mean, the reason we usually get into this is because we have a passion for the process of creating. And if we can keep our eye on the fact that we will still get to have that experience as artists Mm -hmm. to go through the process of creating, whether it's a painting or a composition musically or whatever, we have the creative process to experience. Because that's part of the fulfillment we, we get as creatives. Yeah. To keep doing this, if you can't find the value in the process itself, whether it takes years or weeks Mm -hmm. or whatnot, I don't think that's an argument against AI. 
you should be doing it, or I would hope, because you love the process, you understand the value of the process in your life, being able to go through, have that kind of creative time, that the flow state, which is so wonderful, and to be proud of something that you yourself made wholly from your your mind, your hands, yeah, or whatnot. Yeah. And that will add value to the artwork that's put out there for those people who appreciate yes, that aspect. Exactly. So I, I don't think it's as doom and gloom as many fear it will be. New, new things are always yeah. scary. <laughs> Back to my human flavor game. My budget was zero for art. So yeah. name me one artist that's lost out on paying work because my game is using AI. Not a single artist has lost any money because I had no money to begin with to pay an artist yeah. for it. Because it had this idea come up without this option, it wouldn't be at the point it is right no. now. It would just be in a holding pattern yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I mean, people would yeah. still be enjoying the mechanics of the game and I would have been using you know, cut and paste art from you know, whatever. Yeah, so it would not be the unique product that it currently is if I didn't yeah. have that option. And not one yeah. artist lost a single penny on this whole process, but there's here's another game that is, is now entering into the world because I had this tool at my disposal. You know, yeah. Should I be denied my ability to do that because somebody thinks, well, I do chibi art, so I just lost money on that. No, you didn't, because A, I don't know you, and B, I had no money to give you anyway. <laughs> so you did not lose a penny, but yeah. my game is able to live. Yeah. That goes to the point that a lot of artists, that it's just frustrating being an artist as far as like just trying to survive as an artist if you're doing that for a living, even just to be appreciated as an mm -hmm. artist. You go through so much trying to build yourself as an artist, trying to get yourself out there, trying to be heard, trying to sell, whatever. All the steps are very difficult beyond the actual creation of the work. Yep. And that just seems like this could be another another hurdle in the road. And I think that's what the reactions are really pointed towards. And it's not that it's not a hurdle. Yeah, it could be for some people, for sure. Yeah, for some people, it certainly is. So we can't deny that either. But it's yeah. either hurdle you acknowledge and learn how to navigate around or in many cases with. Yeah. Because I think for many, if not most artists, just like Photoshop for visual artists was a tool that even the ones that didn't want to embrace it early on, I would imagine many now do. Many, many people do. Yeah. Right? And if you don't, you don't, but you learn where your market is and where your avenues yeah. of potential success and income are outside of that. But being aware of it is going to be better than just rallying against it. Yes, right? exactly. All right. Well, I, I think we covered everything and more than, <laughs> that I was yeah. thinking we might talk about. So this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your insight and your input and your view. Some of it's been really eye-opening for me. And I think this will be great for the audience. So why don't you give us your links, your where do sure. we buy your games, and how does someone reach out to you if they need My to? My website is cheekydingo.com. So cheeky is in, oh, that's so cheeky. C-H-E-E-K-Y, <laughs> dingo is in the dog. Like, the dingo ate my baby. Uh, cheekydingo.com. <laughs> And currently on Kickstarter is funding for my first novel for a print run of my novel where you can actually have one of the crew members of the starship named after you if you want. Yeah, that's the Inquiries Aria book yeah. if people want to search Kickstarter. But I'll put uh, the links for that in the show notes so you could jump in the show notes for the podcast and, and get that too. Oh, cool. Thanks. And thank you for having me. I, a, Absolutely. I love spending time with you, or in this case, sort of at you digitally. <laughs> uh, prepositions matter. No, wait, that's pronouns. <laughs> uh, 
They all matter. It's like, yeah, right. I need this. <laughs> but I love spending time with you. I think you know, with all the research you dug into this, you know, stuff I'd already come across and then you brought up even more things that I had not come across. So you, you've yeah. expanded. It's a pretty deep well. Yeah. Up. My understanding of you know, this broad umbrella of, of AI art as well. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Jim. So what do you think? Is AI what you thought it was? Is it maybe a touch less threatening or do you see the value in it or at least how it might play a role in the artistic world of our future? Or did you just get affirmation of your views of it? Well, hold on a few more minutes. I have the viewpoints of your fellow creatives to share and a few additional concerns that might yet again shift your view of AI. Let's start with a peek at the conversations I had on social media. Julia Kohler wrote, I've been using it and participating in the MidJourney community since last August. One, AI art is opening an entirely new creative world to people with disabilities. Two, it can take the entire collective of human art and learn what makes a good composition far faster than a human. Three, in turn, we can learn and observe from the AI to grow our own technique, style, and voice. So yeah, great points, Julia. I know I hadn't considered that there's a range of accessibility in AI for those not able to use traditional mediums. So those who don't have the use of their hands or diminished motor skills could access two-dimensional visual arts in ways they haven't before. The second point is probably a bit objective. Good composition is a matter of opinion. And sure, I imagine AI could assess and make a quick study of whatever aspect one wanted to learn. And if it can't do it now, I'm sure someday it will. And the third point, Jim kind of touched on that AI could be a legitimate jumping off point for artists pushing their imaginations in new directions. So as a source of inspiration. So thanks, Julia. Ian Hawkins said, I think that AI art tools can be used in ways that add to creativity and make it possible for more people to engage in creative work. It has also been said that AI art will only replace those of lower skill levels as it will never be able to match the work of truly skilled artists, writers, and performers. But if there is no room for those who have not yet become excellent at their craft or art, then there is no space for them to learn in a professional environment as designers, graphic designers, voice actors, and copywriters. Now, I thought about this comment a lot. Right now, I think it's going to be hard to predict how things will shuffle out. For instance, the less experienced may end up finding jobs as AI prompters and touch-up artists. But yeah, for anyone wanting to take that traditional path, there may need to be adjustments or at least patience and perseverance if appropriate jobs are filled by AI. Nonetheless, a missing bridge in the development of our creatives is something we should probably be wary of and look out for. So thanks for bringing that to our attention, Ian. And then John Rose wrote... AI is not art in the same sense that a brush and paint are not art. They are all tools with which a skilled practitioner can create art. Likewise, just because a particular tool is used, i.e. brush, paint, AI, the result is not automatically art. The term AI art is a misnomer. John, I couldn't agree more. As you heard in the interview, the terminology is, I think, problematic. We need another name. So Addy, if you will, artificially intelligent digital imagery or artificially intelligent derived imagery, AIDI. That's my vote. I don't know who could make such changes, but let's push for that. And to John's first point, people are unfortunately often speaking of AI as if it's going to replace the artist, and it's not. It can't create anything without a human making decisions. It's really an alternative medium, as John illustrates, and that's a really important point to keep in mind. So thanks, John. 
And in a similar vein, but slightly different perspective, Kira McCoy wrote, AI art is still created by human. It is directed with words, which are very subjective to the human using the words. The computer is not sitting there and making visuals by itself. Therefore, whether or not it's art is certainly in the eye of the creator, the human. Right. Yeah, we have to remember that there is a human being behind all of this AI stuff. And whether or not it is art or will be art or could be art, there is subjectivity, decision making and artistic judgment that is needed for any piece to make it out of the generator and out into the world. Thanks a lot for that, Kira. And lastly, here's one from a non-visual creative. Seth Wagerman is a therapist and writer with a take on this that reflects his professions. He wrote, the bottom line here seems to be that the reaction to AI art is about our human response to it. There has got to be a deep-seated fear for some artists that their worth and value, perhaps their very identities, may soon be diminished, which is a reasonable fear. For creators themselves, we must find the meaning in our own making. To the degree that artists create for the sake of creating, AI art is no existential threat at all. Seth, I wholly agree. It's a fear of the unknown or worst case scenarios that threatens us, I think mostly because we don't know or understand the full potential yet. But we will always have the experience and joy of creating and no machine can take that from us. So well said, Seth. I want to thank everyone who chimed in on the subject online. I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope to get another one going on another hot topic soon. I have some ideas, but if there's something you'd like to have discussed, use the contact form on the website at thesagearts.com and let me know. Even after all of that, there are two more huge aspects that I realized as I edited hadn't yet been brought up. So I'm going to briefly summarize these and if they interest you, go out and read more about them. For one, AI processing isn't an easy and free alternative to do things by human hand. There's a price to pay for this powerful technology and it comes primarily in the form of environmental impact. The amount of energy it takes to run these AI generators is immense. Some of the data centers like the kinds that will be needed to run AI generators more widely can use the same amount of energy that it would take to run 80,000 US homes. Not only do they use a lot of energy, many data centers use millions of gallons of water for evaporative cooling of the server rooms and the water that isn't evaporated or recaptured can become polluted in the process. So it's not all clean and green out there. Mind you, AI is not the only technology that is pushing this kind of high energy use. That's part of the argument against technology like Bitcoin and NFTs, which are huge consumers of energy due to the ultra high encryption process servers have to run. Basically, from what I've been reading, any technology that depends on high server usage is environmentally damaging. So if you're trying to minimize your carbon footprint, AI may not be for you. There are also a ton of great articles out there addressing what I think is one of the bigger issues with AI technology, and that's the potential for AI to magnify our historical biases. Most AI is being developed in English, so what most AIs pull will be from an English-speaking and largely Western view. In other words, the visual history that AIs have access to will lean heavily towards a white, male, straight, capitalistic representation of the world, among other things. The underrepresented and oppressed are going to continue to be underrepresented because the AI is limited to a snapshot of our history. And our history in art reveals some severe problems in our culture. There is both good news and bad news in this arena. The bad news is kind of obvious. If AI becomes the widely used tool we think it will be, it could be a setback in the fights to stamp out prejudice and bias and sexism, etc. 
The good news is that the creators know this and companies like OpenAI are working to minimize this in their Dolly 2 generator through filters. But where they try to filter out, say, objectification of women, the filter may reduce the statistical possibility of women being in the images created. And so it's not wholly helpful, unfortunately. Some opinions I read additionally thought that filters and fixes may also result in a forced homogeneity, a sameness in the results, stripping AI of the potential for any substantial originality. So these known issues are going to slow down the progress of AI development and highlight its shortcomings, which might give us all a bit of time to adjust our jobs and workflows as artists and for the ramifications of AI to be brought up and worked on. Maybe I'm at least happy that the bias and historical representation issues are being addressed already. It's just a question of whether the players in the AI industry are going to put our social progress as a society before the fortune or the winning of the race that we know they're after. Well, phew, (laughs) that's some heavy stuff. This is just such a complex subject, but I hope this information has helped mitigate your fears to some extent, as well as keep your eyes open to the potential downfalls as this technology progresses and expands its reach. So where do we all stand? My present position or viewpoint isn't static, I don't think, not right now for sure. My position on this issue is going to constantly shift the more I learn about it and the more people explore it and eke out its possibilities and its potential harm. What I am sure of is that we are facing a shift, a change in the way things can be done, but I don't think it spells the end of any one thing, of any particular craft or avenue of artistry. Will it replace some jobs? Yeah, I'm sure it will. There are always casualties when there's advancement. Will it create other jobs? Definitely. But whether that is a healthy shift in the workforce or if it takes away or adds to the number of artistic jobs is yet to be seen. Will it dilute the creativity of the human race? Of course not. It might increase the amount of mediocre work that we'll be exposed to, but that happens whenever access to a tool increases, no matter the tool. And I think the bulk of the bell curve on mediocrity in the arts has probably already hit its peak. I mean, we have all these cheap, easy digital tools available to everyone, and the popularity of social media drives people to create whatever gets them more likes and followers out of a desire to be seen or grab some semblance of popularity. But it doesn't urge people to draw from any artistic passion within themselves. So, yeah, I think we're already flooded to the point of near saturation with mediocrity in visual arts. So that aspect, I don't think, is something to be feared. In fact, well-made passion art may very well have a perceived increase in value as it becomes more rare relative to the imagery created with all these shortcut tools. And that brings me to the main point I think we all as creatives need to take to heart. There is one thing that AI can't and never will be able to do, and that is to root the work in stories and experiences that drive the artist to create and allows the viewers and buyers of your art to see you and connect you and experience your work as an extension of you. AI, in the end, seems to be just a tool, one that is being embraced far more readily and willingly than some might have supposed and more than others might be comfortable with, but Regardless, we're left with the most important of human connections, the ability and desire to understand each other and marvel at our accomplishments, including the feat of making a machine that mimics the human imagination. Now, keep in mind, Jim and I are no AI experts. We are just offering the experience and the information we've gathered, and we could be off the mark on our opinions and outlook. So if this subject has you fired up, go out and read more about it. 
It's a very complicated issue that is receiving a huge share of the limelight in all kinds of industries, many of them creative. If the idea of AI art is enraging or depressing or even scary, remember, the more you know, the better you will come to understand and be able to navigate the ramifications and possibilities of this new technology. I know that's a lot to take in today. If you have thoughts, and I know you do, jump in on the conversation on social media. I'll post the episode cover on Facebook and Instagram and ask for your thoughts there. But you are welcome to send thoughts, questions, concerns, whatever you need to me through the website at www.thesagearts.com. Just go to the contact page and use the form or the voice message button. And as mentioned at the beginning, if you're enjoying these episodes and find value in what I'm doing here, do consider giving back. You can do that by going to the sagearts.com website where halfway down the homepage, you'll find the buy me a coffee and PayPal donation buttons. You can also follow the podcast on social media on facebook.com or instagram.com. Both are under the Sage Arts podcast. And if you want to spread the word, hit the share button or you're welcome to grab the images I post and repost them. I will not object in the least. Okay, I'm all done. (laughs) We probably all are. Now that I've filled your brains with all this information, maybe it's time to set it all aside. Let the mind marinate on these many, many thoughts and just go create. Add beauty to the world, inspire and revel in the joy of taking the ideas in your imagination and making them a reality. In the meantime, as always, keep your muse well fed, stay true to your weirdness, and we'll see you next time on the Sage Arts Podcast.